Comics Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan. And DigitalOcean. Go to digitalocean.com and use the promo code Here's the Thing, all one word like you're slurring it, and spin up your own Linux rig for free. And Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and invest in your mind while saving some money. Welcome to Linux Action Show, episode 440. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hello, Noah. We've got a big show for everybody today. Coming up on this week's episode of the Linux Action Show, Dustin Kirkland from Canonical joins us to tell us all about their new live patching service and how it differentiates from the other big players that have already announced their live patching service and have been around for a little while now. And then in the main segment of the show, we'll define what the heck a CRM is, why you would need it, and if open source actually even has a solution here. Turns out Noah, his day job is running his IT company, and he's been kicking the tires on a few different projects, and he'll give us his input there. Yeah, we're also going to talk a little DDoS and some other big news stories. We've got great feedback, tons of things to cover there. But before all of that, Noah, do you know what we've got? Picks. We've got the. You got it. Good job, I did Noah. It. That's because you set it up. See, you set it up, and then I yeah. responded. Yeah, so got that groove going. This one now. This one comes in from quote unquote anonymous, and uh, I can understand why. <laughs> once I started looking, I'm in fact I should scroll down because oh no. Well, imager, you may be giving away our anonymous. Yeah, yeah, imager's a bastard. <laughs> uh, so, anyways, anonymous has sent in these photos that would seem to indicate that CVS runs Linux, at least the pharmacy section here. And mm -hmm. uh, here's what leads us to believe this: is if you start digging through the photos that were sent into the show, I'm not sure. What's going on there? Here we go. If you start looking at these photos, Noah, this is the internet. It's new. And uh, you, you look go. at the back, the door opens up, and that looks like a Zotac Linux PC right there. DVI coming out got, to the... To, to, he's uh, got the Ubuntu screenshot at the, the lower one, too, which really tells hey you Hey, man, I'm Linux. building up. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is... This is, I was right. building. See, I was building the narrative as I was building. So it looking, might not be a Ubuntu. It's a Zotac box so with a lot of cables. Before connected. we get there, the way this thing's drive, it's got a DVI connection to which looks like a, like an LCD screen with a USB plug coming out the back of it, plugged into the Zotac, Ooh. and it's got a wireless antennas on it too, Ethernet as well. So it's, I don't know if it's using those wireless antennas, but it's got them. And, and a uh, pink Cat Five cable. Yeah, that's a nice one. That's that's. I would a, not choose pink. I don't know. I think it stands out. It's got the sound hooked up to it, too. And then, yeah, we scroll down right there. And there it is. A nice Ubuntu screenshot running Unity at that. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to grok. I'm looking at those processes. Um, I'm, looking at, uh, I'm looking at this Evolution Calendar, Deja Dupe. All that stuff doesn't need to be running. You don't really even need Compass running on a, on a pharmacy no. vending machine no, display. Really, it's, it's what? It's scanning the barcode, and then it's probably that all, is, all the software is actually running inside of the web browser. You can see here that the uh, user account that it runs under is a kiosk, and uh, Cat's running in the background taking 100K of RAM. <laughs> Whatever's going on there, I don't know. But this pretty, it's got Firefox installed, Banff Daemon installed. Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty good. Oh, and look at this. He even managed to find uh, the source code of the kiosk app, which looks like it's a bunch of JavaScript. Oh, jeez. What? <laughs> good, good thing we're putting this out on the street. You want me to end it right here? You want me to stop <laughs> no, right no, here? No, no, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> like, I'm sure that's exactly what they want is all their internal URLs exposed to 300,000 people. But no, it's Intel had them on an embedded computer, and uh, they've got how big, how much RAM does it say? 3.9 gigabytes, uh, my gigs. friend. Oh, okay, mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. No, 3.9, so, yeah, don't get it wrong. <laughs> yeah. So this looks like some. This looks like something 
you know, very similar to what to what we would install for for a for a kiosk. Fourteen oh four though. Is that what I see? It's, Graphics. Yeah, GeForce it's got a GeForce. Well, probably to run that that screen, a GeForce GT six ten though. So don't get too excited. And an Intel well, yeah. Atom, one point eight gigahertz. But the fact that it fits in that tiny little box, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. It. Uh, look at. Oh my gosh. And he was able to get out to the internet by using the built-in Firefox browser. He was look at him browsing Reddit. I, I think if you scroll up, do you see where it says? Uh, do you see inside of the web browser? See how he has two tabs open and one is welcome to CVS. So I feel like I feel like they, yeah. that is actually where the software is running. It sure. just runs like full screen. Yeah, because it's just JavaScript, right? Yeah, so it's yeah. just running in a it's running in a tab in Firefox, and he was able to open up a new tab once he hooked up a USB keyboard, and it goes to Reddit for all the karma. Then launches Solitaire. <laughs> On this machine, he looks solitaire. God, I just, I feel like I would not have this much time to, uh, I don't know, I just, I feel like I would not be screwing around with that machine that long. I guess it's a public kiosk, like, they, what are they going to say? Yeah, They're and like, you know. I was just trying to figure out how to get my prescription filled. Actually, I don't, I think, uh, there is a certain, there is a certain element to raising awareness about this kind of stuff, too, I think. There's sure. something to that, and, and also, there's something to pulling behind the, pulling back the curtain and realizing that. This is really just an, a combination of JavaScript, a Firefox web browser, mm -hmm. and an Ubuntu Atom box back there. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, that's that, and it's connected to the internet, and that's legitimately the world we live in now. And I wonder what the update frequency is on uh, on that particular. <laughs> what LTS think? every five years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You think they're installing all the LTS updates though? Let me see. No, no. Hmm. I think once every five years they probably update to the next version. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe. Actually, you know what? To give them credit, the about box, look at that. No, it says systems up to date. It's actually, oh, they are keeping yeah. it up to date. Hey, you know it's what? Them. Dude, if you're just running it in a web browser, if you're just doing JavaScript, well, who cares? Mm -hmm. Right? Who cares? Exactly. Exactly. I'd say that's updated. Well, Firefox isn't going to break. It's fine. It's fine. And I wonder if that means, uh, I wonder if they run all of that uh, pharmacy uh, display stuff from a central CVS web server. It's probably not running locally no, on maybe. that box, right? He didn't show us yeah. that, but yeah. yeah. Hmm. No, it wouldn't be local because they wouldn't want to have to update 10,000 boxes. They wouldn't want to say like, we're going to, we need to change the price or this or that, or we're changing a new, you know, color scheme or whatever. They don't want to update 10,000 boxes. You know what so I would do? No, if I was CVS, I'd host it on DigitalOcean. Digital you got it, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code. Here's the thing. All one word. Put it together like your Slurna. Go set up your account, and then you apply it to your balance, and DigitalOcean gives you a $10 credit, and you can run a $5 rig for two months for free. That's their base rig with 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD. They're all SSDs. A terabyte of transfer and a dedicated CPU. $5 a month's pretty great. You could get really a lot of nice things running on Linux. But if you go to DigitalOcean, I encourage you to check out the way their pricing structure works because this is cooking with gas. You do this hourly thing. Three cents an hour gets you two gigs of RAM, a two-core processor, 40 gigabyte SSD, and three terabytes of transfer. The latest version of Ubuntu comes out, the latest version of when Fedora 25 ships and they get their images update. When there's a new version of FreeBSD, they just got the latest. The, when, when it released, they got FreeBSD on there. You know, I, I think this is a great way to play with these systems in a really performant environment. You really get to, you really get to experience packages installing at incredible rates, things building at an, an intense, great speed, everything being out on the internet so you don't have to worry about reconfiguring your firewall. You don't have to install a bunch of junk dependencies on your system. You just get something set up on DigitalOcean and you get going. And they have entire application stacks you can deploy. 
or you can build a system like Noah likes to do from the ground up. I kind of, I strike the difference. So one of the things I often will do is I will check for a DigitalOcean tutorial for anything I'm going to do. Uh, we're going to talk about the uh, Cal Linux vulnerability here in just a couple of minutes, and they already have it, they posted it two days ago, how to protect your server against the dirty Cal Linux vulnerability. How to create an intranet on open, with OpenVPN on Ubuntu 16.04, or installing MongoDB on CentOS 7. Lots of really nice tutorials. So you can build it yourself, or you can take advantage of one of their application stacks, deploy it, and then use these tutorials to go even further. This is my approach. This is what I like to do. Is I like to experiment using DigitalOcean Droplet. I go deploy the open source thing that I'm going to do. I go d install maybe an entire ready-to-go stack something that's really simple, and I validate that it's okay, the product's worth my time. This is worth my energy and my time. And then, if it's really something I'm serious about, I will go back, sometimes following the tutorial, sometimes following a wiki post somewhere else, and I will reset it up on a system that I'm going to keep I'm going to keep long-term. And when you think about it in that context of the ability to experiment and then deploy in production, the pricing is nuts. And they got data centers all over the world in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, Germany, India. They have such a great interface to manage all of it and a really nice API. The interface you're seeing on the screen right now is not fake. That's what that that's what their actual UI looks like, and you can deploy to multiple data centers, set up multiple droplets, you can import your SSH keys, manage your DNS, set up private networking, set up snapshots and backups, templates, transfer machines, droplets to other accounts, set up team accounts. There's so much you can do from this great interface with their great straightforward API. And you can get started with all of it by using our promo code, here's the thing. All one word over at DigitalOcean. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. Just apply, here's the thing to your account, and you'll get the $10 credit. Sometimes we have an app pick on the show where when uh, Noah and I get connected for the morning, I'll say to him, dude, there's no way we haven't picked this app before. And then usually, usually that results in us looking around and searching, but you've already double-checked. And, and my goodness, if we've this is one that literally I use every single day on all of my computers for years now, years and years now, and if we've never mentioned this on the show, we have got to fix that wrong right now. It's f.lux. And uh, so basically, if you're not familiar with f.lux, basically what it does is they've done scientific studies and they found that the color temperature of the your computer monitor very closely remembers, it resembles 5500K, which is the about the color temperature that you'd get outdoors in front of the sun. So during the day, between the hours of, you know, let's say noon and 4 p.m., uh, that makes a lot of sense. So when you're staring at your computer monitor, your body's natural circadian rhythm says it's it's daytime. <clears throat> it's time to be awake. It's time to be productive. The problem becomes when you get home at night and you want to sit down at your computer or me, I get a 2 a.m. service call and I, oh, I stumble uh, off of my bed over to my computer and I, oh, I got to I gotta log into this SSH and I, I hit the button to wake the computer up and exactly, all of a sudden this bright 5500K light is hitting me and and my, my eyes are telling me it's daytime and the rest of my body is like, it's two in the morning. I want to sleep. Yeah. F.Lux fixes that. Basically, it allows you to, after a specific time, adjust the color temperature of your display so that it more it, it, your body your body circadian rhythm it is being told from all sides, including sight, hey, it's nighttime, it's time for bed. And I noticed the very first night I did this. I have a computer in my bedroom. It's on my desk, and I installed it on there the uh, one night. And I knew that Chris had had this. I just didn't realize. Uh, the the extent to which it was available and so I, I i installed it pretty easy install and 
then I sat down that night to use my computer. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm like, I'm like relaxed and sleepy now just, just from using the computer that way. And I thought, that's it. Now it's going on every computer. So every computer I own now has F.Lux installed on it. Wow. So I, I've sort of transitioned from F.Lux, which I still like a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And if there's any, like if there's a Mac in the studio or something, I'll have F.Lux on this. That way all the screens match. Because if you ever have one screen that doesn't do this cut to, uh, temperature shift, oh, sure. it stands out. Yeah. Um, which is why I'm really glad you can get this on the phone now. Uh, what I have been sort of, what I found to be more bulletproof for me on anything that's not Ubuntu, because F.Lux always seems to work great for me on Ubuntu. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can get X Flux or whatever it's called, I can get that working on pretty much any Linux. And if you go to their, uh, to their download page and uh, you look a little bit further down, they have F, or I'm sorry, X Flux. This mm-hmm. is just a command line, and uh, again, no, no surprise, I drop down my Quake terminal, and uh, I have a dedicated tab for Xflux. I of hit up course arrow you once. have a dedicated tab on your drop-down Quake terminal for yeah. Xflux. Yeah, of and, course you do. And it's like really simple. It's like Xflux-Z, and then your zip code, and uh, it automatically looks up your location of your of where your zip code's at, figures out what the what where the sun is at, and sets the temperature. So it's really easy. That's and so if you can't get f.lux working, check out xflux or consider and I know everybody that's probably watching screaming this at the screen right now, consider Redshift. Redshift does everything that Noah just said about Flux, everything we love about it, uh, but it is completely open source. So you can get it in oh, your... And it's probably already in better. your repo. It's probably it's, it's, it's ah. in most repos. And there is a GNOME shell extension that I use, surprise, on some of my machines that integrates Redshift toggle into my user menu. So say if I want to override it, which I sometimes do if I'm looking at photos or I'm video editing, I don't want to have the color wrong and I want to temporarily disable it. So it's really nice in GNOME 3 to have a checkbox and just turn it off. Flux does allow you to, there's a little icon that runs in the the app bar and you can just hit pause and then. Or if you have it in your dedicated Wake dropdown tab, uh, you just control C obviously and uh, you're fine. But, uh, or tell it to kill or something. But I have actually switched over to Redshift and Redshift uh, will put a little uh, icon like in your status bar. Every now and then Redshift is broken on me, but for the most part, it it just, uh, if you're on GNOME 3, one other thing is, it might not work by default unless you have location services enabled in GNOME 3, which I believe are disabled by default. So that's something to consider. You may have to turn on location services uh, in GNOME. And there's other projects out there that actually do this for uh, other desktops as well. And the Redshift does work on KDE, and there are uh, Plasma desktop equivalents that talk to Redshift. So those are all, those, Flux is sort of like the well-known one. Flux is also the one that's most common on, I believe, on Mac and Windows. I don't know for sure, but I, mm-hmm. I, I gather that it is. And mm-hmm. uh, Redshift is probably well-known in the community. So check out those tools for something that I really think does help. And you can get Redshift or something like it for your phone, too. And mm-hmm. so that way, if you have to turn on your phone in the middle of the night, it, it really makes a big difference. And I, my lady saw mine. I have it on mine, right? And so she's like, wow, that, that really is a lot nicer. And she went and got it turned on on hers, too, because she noticed a big difference. It makes a difference. It, is, it sounds, it sounds uh, nitpicky until you actually do it. And then you're like, well, that did make a big difference. Yeah. And I actually think it's possible. I've never tried it. But on my Android TV that I have at mm-hmm. the, uh, the rig, mm-hmm. I have a Redshift. Or I can't remember. I can't remember if it's Redshift. I have a... Uh, a nighttime colorizer that I think actually does it for the TV too, using hmm. an Android TV. So if you really, if you really want to go all in, although that seems like a bad idea on the TV, but if you really want to go all in, you can actually get it on Android TV too, which is, 
which seems crazy. No, I, you know, this weekend I really wanted to show you something via my terminal. I did something, I banged it all out. It was super cool, a nice FFmpeg command. And I thought, man, Noel would love this. Can you think there of you anything go. that would facilitate sharing of a terminal session? Maybe something I could watch a little faster because you type slow, etc. Actually, I can't, but uh, Rakai can. So Rakai this week sent in our show spotlight, and that is, I'm going to try and pronounce this, Showterm Heroku app. Oh, it's a Heroku app. Showterm is the app, and it runs on Heroku. Yeah, okay. There you go. So, but basically what it is, is it is a live text terminal. So you can, you can do screencasts of your terminal, but the, the catch is that the screencast is presented in text. So the viewer at any time can oh, copy text. Oh, I can copy pasta it. Yeah, that is exactly. nice. Exactly. And you can copy that text right out of there, copy it into your own terminal so you could follow along. So definitely could be a and kind you can, of cool. Oh, sorry. To, sorry. But did you mention you can no. speed it up too? Yeah, so the 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 rate at which it comes out yeah. uh, can be can be sped up or slowed down. Yeah. I think this would be kind of a cool thing to use for a show episode next time we have a, a you know like a, a how to where there's going to be a lot of commands. Having this publishing this video, making that available yeah. um, to the audience, so they can just say, oh, yeah. just copy. Right now, what we have to do is we have to have the video, and then we put all of the commands in the show notes so that people have a place they can copy and paste commands out of. This would kind of do both. A couple other things that are neat about this. So if you want to use uh, the app that's running on their Heroku's instance, um, they'll let you link directly to terminal show terms. So you could have, like, I could send you a link that you could watch on your own later um, mm -hmm. in your browser session. You can also embed them as an iframe, which that could be especially cool in the show notes. If you can embed it as an iframe, that would be really mm -hmm. nice. The one thing I was wondering about, though, and I was just looking at their, I was trying to see if they say anything here, is it just looks like it's a start and stop recording. And, you know, because you know you're going to typo a few times. It'd be nice not to have all your typos <laughs> recorded. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> so that would be one thing. Is it, I, and maybe there is a way to pause it. I just don't see it here. Uh, it's by the, uh, it's uh, like Noah was saying, showterm.herokoapp.com. I don't think there's a way to pause it just based on the way that as soon as you stop the recording, it pub it, it, it generates the link. The video. But what you could do, you could script everything ahead of time and then just run your script. And then obviously when the show term goes out, it would obviously you could slow it down or speed it up because yeah. the speed is controlled at the end, not at the. Yeah. Yeah. You know. So it looks like it's using uh, a couple of cool technologies. Term.js, um, which is an awesome TTYJS script. Uh, script, the long forgotten Unix tool for recording terminal sessions. Uh, TT record which is an upgrade to script, and then uh, there's, a bug there's a tool for monitoring and hosting by a Bugsnag. So it's kind of a cool combination of stuff. Showterm, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Before we get out of the spotlight altogether, I kind of have like a double spotlight, and I okay. wanted to uh, just uh, share a little love with the OpenStreetMap project. I, if you're anybody who considers ever de-Googlifying your life, would encourage you not to underestimate the importance of maps. Not only that, but the ability to take something that's open street uh, map data all from all over the world, where maybe some companies and some private companies don't really have an interest in investing to places like my podunk town, where only people that are locals really care about these little, little, uh, little, you know, tiny little nuances. I think this is a super important project. Uh, OpenStreetMap is doing a funding drive for 2016, and they're about halfway there. Uh, and they don't have crazy ambitions either. So I feel like I feel like it's probably just worth a mention if you would like to help them out. And uh, it is uh, donate.openstreetmap.org, and I'll have a link in the show notes. And I just I think the OpenStreetMap Foundation is a super cool uh, organization. Don't have any other affiliation with them, other than I did use some of OpenStreetMap data while I was on the road from time to time, 
and I found a few things to be more accurate on it. And I just I love the idea of not relying on Apple or Google or mm-hmm. Nokia or Navtech or whoever to supply our maps. And I like the idea that more open source software could be built with great accurate maps that exactly uh, the foundations behind. So we'll have the link to that in the show notes or go to donate.openstreetmap.org if you'd like to help them out. But Noah, let's do the news. And this episode is brought to you by Ting.com. Hey, go to last.ting.com to support the show and get yourself a discount. Ting is mobile that makes sense. So instead of being a crazy duopoly that tries to squeeze you for every single penny, what they've done is they've rebuilt wireless in a way that is fundamentally simpler to understand. You just pay for what you use. They take your minutes, your messages, and your megabytes. They add them up. Whatever you use, that's what you pay. Each line, $6. You want three lines, you pay $6 for each line. There's no contract. There's no early termination fee. The devices are unlocked. You own them. It's all easy peasy. And if you go to last.ting.com, you can click on that how much would you save button. Punch in your numbers. Punch your numbers in and see if Ting would work great for you. Average line, 23 bucks a month. That's for, uh, you know, for me, I've got three smartphones on my Ting account. It's usually under 40 bucks. It's really nice. You got some Wi-Fi at work or at home, it's, it's no-brainer. And if you ever need to use customer service, they've got great customer service. They have CDMA and GSM services, which means even more devices you can bring. And if you bring a device and you go to last.ting.com, you get a $25 service credit. Remember I mentioned that the average monthly bill is 23 bucks. It'll pay for more than your first month. And they've got great tools for your device or in the web. All of that. And if you're going to go, even if you're not ready to switch to Ting yet, they have a great blog, last.ting.com, then click on the blog. This is something that's kind of interesting for me. I've got Sling TV, and I've noticed that uh, PlayStation View seems to be getting some attention. This is a great way for those of us who have cut the cord, but every now and then want to tune into some live television, especially when big news events like elections are coming up. They've done a rundown of Sling TV and the PS View and which hardware devices support it and which ones don't. It's a really nice one, including other options to consider, DVRs, all that kind of stuff. So start by going to last.ting.com, and then if you're a cord cutter or you're considering it, check out their blog, too. Tons of great tips there. And the other thing, too, I, I don't know if, I've, if I haven't mentioned it for a couple of weeks, but Ting's prices on data are, have gotten even better. This is absolutely outrageous. And if you go to ting.com or last.ting.com, you can find out more. Look Like this. Need more? It's just $10 a gig. That's what new customers pay. That's what current customers pay. It's simple. We like simple. See for yourself at ting.com slash rates. You know what, Noah? Actually, that's one thing to say, too, as a longtime Ting customer. I really like when they've rolled out improvements to the service, like dropping the data rate. It's, mm-hmm. I didn't have to, like, call up and get a new contract or get a new agreement or get a new plan. I just inherited these new benefits as a customer. Whether just, or not you were even paying attention. Yeah, <laughs> which is really nice because all of a sudden things just get cheaper. All right, well, uh, <laughs> let's talk about the news. This is a big story this week. Canonical has announced their live patch service, which is one part technology in your kernel, one part their live service that you have to create an account, in some cases pay for, and all parts necessary. A live patch is 
in a sense, the ability to install updates into a running Linux kernel. Now, if you've heard about the big Internet of Things DDoS attack this week or any of the kind of situations where you know the system has to remain in production, maybe it's a Netflix system, maybe it's your email server, the range is huge. There's so many Linux systems in production today that have to remain online so people fail to patch them. So vendors have been rolling out live patch services for a while now. Red Hat and SUSE rolled theirs out earlier in the year, and we covered those. And now, last to the party is Canonical, but I think they might have the most interesting take. And so Dustin Kirkland stopped by on his way home from the airport to tell us about it. Dustin is joining us right now on his way home from the airport. And it, really, if, if, the, if the announcement wasn't this big of a deal, it wouldn't be worth all of the trouble. But let's be honest, this is a huge story. So, Dustin, first of all, thanks for making the time to come on the Linux Action Show, even though you're on the way home from the airport right now. Welcome to the show. <laughs> of course. Thank you. Yeah, so um, let's talk about the big news. Uh, this is something that, I don't know, maybe Canonical isn't necessarily the first to do a live kernel patch, but this is done a little differently. So what is live patch, and why would I want to live patch my system? We're certainly not the first, and I don't think we're, we're, we're claiming to be the first, um, but uh, we're, we're taking advantage of a new feature in the Linux kernel. It showed up in about 4.1. Um, Ubuntu 16.04, which we released back in April, ships with Ubuntu uh, with Linux 4.4, which is it's really the first of any of the enterprise Linux distributions to ship with a four anything kernel, um, and so it's it's really the, the first opportunity there is to live patch a kernel using purely upstream uh, functionality. Okay. Uh, as I said, we're not the first. You've got KSplice from from Oracle. You've got KPatch from Red Hat and KGraft from SUSE, uh, but all three of those are using out-of-tree technology. What we're using is the, the pure live patch functionality that's in the Linux upstream kernel. Now, that seems to be a, the big differentiator here. Not only that, uh, but there's a couple other things that I think are, are pretty special, and I want to I get to them for a moment. But um, let's, let's take a moment and talk about this, because it seems like what Canonical is going to reap are the benefits of other companies working on the upstream stuff. So, for example, isn't IBM working on some architectures that aren't yet supported by this upstream uh, live patching, but will soon be, and you guys will just reap those benefits? Yeah, well, I mean, we work with the IBM team, but it's largely IBM's kernel developers who maintain the System 390X, the uh, you know, IBM mainframe uh, port, as well as the Power 8 power architecture port. Um, you know, and I just I want to make it clear: there's two pieces to two very important pieces to to live patch. The first piece is uh, the ever important plumbing that has to be in the Linux kernel that allows you to load dynamically load a kernel module that modifies running code. That's so the that's first how piece, it works. And that's the piece. Yeah, that's the piece that we're 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 leaning on the upstream community to, uh, to, to that that has gone in uh, to the kernel. Um, the second piece is the stream of patches. So uh, that piece has been there for months and months, and you know very few people said anything about it. We certainly didn't make any noise about it. We've been working on this in the background, um, but without an actual live patch to apply, uh, it's just I mean it's just stub code is dead code. Sure. Um, so the announcement this week is that we've created a stream of live patches. So our kernel team, we've got uh, people on the ground working on this. When when a CVE, a kernel vulnerability, security vulnerability is released, um, our team looks at it and uh, triages it and determines its its severity. For the high and critical ones that snaps into action, our kernel team that starts working on a 
making that live that that patch that fixed to that vulnerability into a live patch. Um, and they do that in parallel. There's another part of the team that takes that patch, applies it to the Ubuntu kernel, and builds and tests and QAs and releases okay. a full kernel, as we always have for yeah. you know, 12 years. By the way, today's the 12th birthday of, uh, of Ubuntu. Maybe we should... Uh, Happy birthday, should Ubuntu. Yeah, thanks. Right. Released 2004 wow. Uh, today. Wow. Um, but yeah, we've been releasing kernels, updated kernels with bug fixes and security uh, fixes for, for years, and we will continue to do that. Those will roll up all of the, the changes and fixes that go in. Um, but with the live patches, it's a very specially crafted dynamic kernel module, a .ko, that, that changes running code. There's some limitations to what it can do, but it's pretty amazing uh, what it can do. Mm-hmm. In fact, mm-hmm. I, I'm on my way home from the airport, and while uh, while in flight at 45,000 feet, I patched my kernel on my on my on my laptop <laughs> uh, <laughs> over an airplane Wi-Fi connection and erased a really nasty uh, vulnerability. Uh, okay. A local user. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just Amazing. to be That's just okay. to be clear here, we're, we're we're not we're not talking about replacing the traditional patch methodology, but what we are what we are actually talking about is the ability to patch your running kernel in production and solve a potential real security issue that's in in the wild and this is this is a this is an obvious thing that uh, the enterprise needs without a reboot that's the killer bit right yes. you don't have to reboot to, to patch that um, you know we're not selling this as a i'm 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 going to be clear we're not selling this as never reboot again uh, but rather it's reboot when it's convenient right it wasn't convenient for me to reboot my laptop uh, on on the plane but uh, i wanted to to patch that vulnerability and so i was able to I was able to do that, you know, and the yeah. same could be said for your, your rack of servers. It's Friday afternoon, 5 p.m. Uh, you want to patch the vulnerability, but you don't want to reboot your data center until so, your reboot window. Dustin, yeah. let me ask you, how does Canonical uh, have the um, confidence to send out patches to everyone's running kernels and, and, and fix them in real time? You are essentially send you uh, in a very large picture way. Uh, Canonical will be replacing running code in real time. Um, and so, h- how does that work? How is that tested? And if you could, could you also maybe talk a little bit about the service end, where there's actually a, a, an account that's created and there's signing that happens? Sure, absolutely. So there's quite a bit of work that happens on the on the back end. The service itself is a, it's a it's a tremendous effort. There's a there's a great team at Canonical, the the the, the kernel team, the land distro team that that work on this and collaborate on this, and they've built the mechanisms that take. Uh, take a patch, and, and if you've ever if you've ever ported a patch from one version of some software to another, be it kernel or user space, it's not an easy thing to do. And there's mm. a lot of things that you have to get right. You know, there's some tools that can help, but it's going to be done manually, right? Um, and then we have infrastructure that builds that 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 patch into a live patch, and then recompiles it against every single kernel. Um, that we've released in, against 16.04, and that's a that's a number that just grows. We release a sure. new kernel every three weeks in Ubuntu, and every time we we generate a live patch from now on, we've got to build that live patch against all of the old 16.04 kernels because someone could be on any of those at any time, right? Um, just depending on the last time they 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 rebooted. So that's a it's a growing list. It's a tremendous amount of work and infrastructure uh, to put that together. When we do create those live patches, we then put them through a CI/CD test framework, a regression testing. So we do as much automated testing we can in uh, in virtual machines and on physical hardware, uh, and try to assure as much. Um, as much uh, stability and, and quality as possible. And sure. So far, and the team's done a great job 
I've been running this in beta for nine months now, and uh, I, I haven't hit a, a, a problem that crashed. Wow, nine months. Jeez, holy smokes. That's interesting. Uh, so it sounds like it's something that you guys have been working on uh, pretty diligently for a long time behind the scenes. Absolutely. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of work that's gone into this, and, and we're... we're hmm. Oh, oh. was creation of... Uh, yeah. Years worth of um, I, interesting. Effort. I saw I saw Popey mention it on Twitter that he'd been running it for a while. Uh, so really, Dustin, could you could we just talk about for a little bit uh, the 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 aspect that might be most applicable to to just average users that are watching this particular show? I understand there is a there's a free element to this and there's a pay element to it. And it's been funny to watch people's reaction. Like, what? Only three machines for free? How can this be? Why is that? How does all of this work? And maybe fill in some of the details there. Yeah, sure. Um, so it, it, I've, I've seen some of the same feedback. I'm, I'm sure you have, Chris. Um, it's, uh, it's just, it's, it really comes back to how much time and effort and people we've invested in this feature, and it is something that we're quite proud of. Um, but we're also looking to, to, to use this to um, help showcase what Ubuntu Advantage, our optional support service, is for Ubuntu. Uh-huh. Uh, we're not taking anything. Mm. away from anyone who's ever used Ubuntu. Download, upgrade, reboot sure. your Ubuntu machine as much as you want if you don't want to pay for it or if you go beyond your, your three free machines. You've got uh, you've got <laughs> you've got a, uh, you've certainly got that at your disposal. Um, but for the for the enterprise user, for the user who's using this at, at scale, um, it's part of our Ubuntu Advantage support offering. We have three levels of Ubuntu Advantage, uh, Essential, Standard, and Advanced that start at $150, $750, and $1,500 uh, per year. So at the, even at the lowest end, Ubuntu Advantage Essential at $150 a year, uh, that's less than 50 cents a day. That's uh, you know, $12 a month, right. basically. Right. Um, that's less than I pay for Netflix, sure. in fact. And anybody, uh, you know, anybody that's that. anybody that's making money on on a, on a server instance running Ubuntu would be absolutely thrilled to pay something like that. Uh, Dustin, though, could you talk a little bit about uh, the early rollout that will happen for free users and and how that sort of uh, is a pre-screen to anything that might be disastrous? Yeah, exactly. So I, I was hoping to get to that when you were asking about the, 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 the testing, you know. So we do as much testing as we can behind the scenes uh, with with timing in mind. We know that some of these these patches we've got to get out as quickly as possible. So uh, we have a, a regular set of tests we run internally before we uh, before we decide we're ready to roll one of these out. Hmm. And the first step of the rollout process is uh, it's a pretty classic canary testing methodology. If you don't know what canary testing is, it's 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 the same concept that's that's built around the canary in the coal mine, right? You send in a canary, make sure there's enough oxygen that the canary survives and comes back out. Uh, and if not, then you might not want to send your uh, your team of coal miners into the uh, into the coal mine um, just yet, right? Um, and so that's, that's sort of how, uh, how, how the canary testing with the live patch works. We'll take a very tiny percentage of the, the free users, the community users of, uh, of the live patch mechanism, and we'll roll that out to, um, to a, a, a tiny percentage. Uh, and then we'll check back, or that the, those, sorry, those uh, live patch demons will check back in with the service and report that the live patch either uh, applied successfully or failed to apply. And then we'll wait a, a bit of time to make sure that, um, that those machines stay up, right? Yeah. If something, if, if, if those checks fail, if uh, a number of those modules failed to load or, or some number of those machines failed to respond in a timely fashion, uh, then we will, we'll, 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 
spring into action um, a response where we'll take a look at those results and our kernel team will, will investigate a bit, sure. bit closer into what's sure. going on. Yeah. After that first pass, we'll do that uh, a second time at a slightly larger uh, percentage. So I don't know what the numbers are, but let's imagine it's 1%, 10%, and then everyone. Um, but I, I guess the, the takeaway message is if I'm an enterprise customer and I'm paying at a certain level, I can sort of rest assured that by the time these live patches come down, um, they've been they've been tested not only in the continuous integration testing system, but also uh, probably amongst a subset at, of, a, of a large yeah, scale of users. Absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, Ubuntu users are so incredibly diverse, desktops, laptops, uh, you know, the, the various versions of the kernel that they might be running from very old, haven't rebooted in months, to very new, just rebooted uh, 10 minutes ago. Um, and all of that feeds into that, uh, what, what amounts to a big data analytics uh, framework that allows us to have extreme confidence uh, and a, 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 a very safe mechanism to detect mm. when something might go wrong. You're absolutely right. So it's part of the social contract. It's not uncommon for hmm. for google to do this for their for their uh, enterprise right. apps this is how android versus... updates work absolutely yep 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 good exactly. good parallel there uh i i guess my last question for you dustin really comes down to the future and i know anything you say is sort of maybe your opinion or whatnot but um if if i am a 1604 user today do I have a good guarantee that when the next LTS of Ubuntu ships out, that within time a live patch service will also be made available for the next LTS? Because I noticed 1604 is supported, but 1610 not supported. Right. So it's 1610 is not supported at this time. Um, the 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 reality is is that the vast majority of Ubuntu users and especially uh, Ubuntu Advantage uh, commercial customers are running sure. 1604. Period. You know, um, I love 1610. It's on my laptop. Um, but uh, but you know, 1604 is where the is where the the, the critical mass is right now. Um, we are considering and we are looking at a couple of expansions to the service. Uh, we are looking at the the, the 1610 kernel as well. Uh, particularly in its HWE, the hardware enablement stack, we we run that kernel uh, for some customers uh, in 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 public clouds or on hardware that they need that newer kernel. Um, it's currently under inv- evaluation. I mean, we're just we're three days into the public GA. The response has been tremendous. We're seeing uh, you know an outstanding response of registrations. Um, as we get those requests, you know, send send those requests over to us on on Twitter or by email. If 1610 is 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 a deal breaker for you and you need hardware or you need live patch for 1610 uh, let us know you know we we need to hear those voices it's it's so much work to do it that we just we want to make sure that we're putting sure. that putting that behind the right arrows you know yeah that's that makes a lot of sense well dustin is there anything else you think the audience should know about the new live patch service you know if something to go look out or anything like that look up yeah, the one other thing I was going to mention, you asked about the next LTS. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We we certainly plan on supporting uh, live patch for the LTSs. So uh, so so eighteen oh four as well. We can't do much for fourteen oh four because that 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 kernel mechanism is the not upstream. present in yeah. fourteen. Yeah, exactly. We need yeah. at least a port one. Um, no, Chris, but thank you very much. I'm I'm glad to be able to speak with you and connect with your users and, and listeners. Well, Dustin, it was great to chat with you, and uh, I've noticed your name on a lot of the cool stuff coming out of Canonical recently, so uh, I'd love to have the opportunity to chat in the future. And thanks for making the time available, even while returning from the airport, man. I really appreciate it. <laughs> uh, that was really cool, and this is undoubtedly... 
a huge initiative for Canonical. So I want to make it clear what they're talking about doing here is a service that will live patch a running kernel with fixes. In some cases, you will not have to reboot to have the fix loaded. It'll replace code in memory uh, using the kernel module itself. And there will be some sets of patches that you will still have to restart for uh, the, the fix to actually take effect. Think about that. That's a massive, massive commitment Canonical is making to their customers because these are primarily going to be applicable to enterprise customers. But one of the things they've done a little differently here is they do make a free service available for three people or for three computers. Uh, so you, you could go enable three of your computers for free, Noah. One could be a, a droplet. One could be a laptop. Um, and then these could be systems you wouldn't have to worry about um, rebooting. One of the things that Dustin didn't really get into, um, but I thought maybe we could talk about here, is so the canonical the canonical service is three for three computers, free for three computers, and then $150 a node a year after that. And that includes that's just that's a that's the that's the essential Ubuntu advantage. So you're getting the support and patches for $150 a year. Uh, to put it in to put it in comparison, uh, if you want to use the uh, the uh, uh, Red Hat Enterprise version of their live kernel patching, mm -hmm. you have to get an Oracle Premier support license for that uh, instance of Red Hat Enterprise Linux, which is twenty three hundred dollars. You also have to have a Red Hat Enterprise subscription to begin with, which is what. Uh, $1,300. No, because you have to have the Red Hat Linux, you have to have Red Hat Enterprise Linux server premium subscription to get live kernel patching. Okay. So that's, it's $1,300 for the premium subscription, and then you need the Oracle Linux Premier Support License, because they're the ones that wrote the code, uh, which is $2,300. So is my this is my rough understanding. So sure. that's a huge <laughs> amount. And if you, hold on, if you want to do it on SUSE, SUSE, it's, it's available for SUSE Linux Enterprise 12 priority support subscription, which is $1,500 a node a year. And all of these, by the way, are per server, all these costs. Sure. It's quite a bit of money. So $150 for Ubuntu Advantage plus three machines are free. This is, by this definition, this is the cheapest method to do these live patches unless you just used it yourself. I mean, this is kernel code, so maybe that's possible. I, I the, the thing is, to me, the cost is actually pretty much irrelevant. I think that, and you called this in the interview, if you're a business and you rely on your server to keep your business running, $1,200, $2,000, $5,000, it's a drop in the hat uh, to make sure that, that that server, you know, is is up and running. The thing that Canonical just really freaking nailed is they're charging enough that they will be able to make some money off of it, and yet, and and. And, but really, I think what that charge is doing, that cost is adding value. People are recognizing that there's value there because too often in the open source community, we get into this habit of expecting things completely uh, at zero cost. And that's just not the way that the world works. And so it, yeah, it, I agree. The dollar amount doesn't necessarily matter to me, but the fact See, that they're I, letting you do three computers for free. That's where I awesome. disagree. I think you are absolutely right um, in like the enterprise context and mm -hmm. uh, a lot of... Really, anywhere where you're running Red Hat Enterprise Server, I think you're mm -hmm. probably right. That price mm -hmm. is not quite as relevant. However, sure. if you look at the success that Ubuntu has had on the cloud, um, mm -hmm. that is, it is a rash that is across the entire cloud, whereas Red Hat, it's, 
it'd be kind of a joke to say I'm going to go I'm going to go deploy a SUSE Linux enterprise server on a VPS. I mean, not many people are doing that. Not many people sure. are deploying Red Hat enterprise server either. They might be deploying CentOS for sure, mm-hmm. but not many of them are deploying Red Hat enterprise Linux on right. something like a, a Linode or a, or something. Sure. I mean, it's sure. it's just not mm-hmm. as common. And whereas Ubuntu mm-hmm. is so much more common. Or look at Amazon Web Services again, where those mm-hmm. enterprise distros do exist, but yet again, Ubuntu massively larger percentage. I think it's what, mm-hmm. something like in the 73% share on, sure. on AWS or something like that. I, I think part of that is cost. I think another part of it has been accessibility to people that are creating the things that are running on these servers. Exactly. And mm-hmm. because, we're, sure, maybe cost doesn't matter on the server as much, mm-hmm. but I, I think what Canonical's going for with these free three machines is they're mm-hmm. going for VPSs and laptops and desktops. Because sure. not only does that make it accessible to a different class of user who might just be getting something started up. Like, I mm-hmm. could pick, I you know what, I could I could pick three droplets and be good mm-hmm. with those three droplets and the other ones rebooting. So that's actually sure. doable for me. But on top mm-hmm. of that, it widens their test base because everyone's who's a, everyone that's a free user of this, mm-hmm. even on the desktop, if you're just somebody who doesn't like to reboot your desktop but you want to stay secure, Absolutely. you become part of the Canary service from time to time and mm-hmm. you make it a better product for the people that are paying. So it's, mm-hmm. I actually think this is super clever. And, uh, and then I, I think the, the biggest takeaway from this is what I really like is they're using upstream code that's already in kernel uh, Linux kernel 4.4 and up. And I think that's the brilliant part because then they can focus on so much of the other stuff, the services, the interface, the creating the business relationships, and they mm-hmm. don't have to be inventing this code to make this possible. Uh, so that seems like the really nice move because already they have folks like IBM working on uh, additional platforms like Power and ARM. Power, yeah. J- to clarify, I wasn't necessarily saying that it doesn't affect things one way or the other. It just doesn't affect my uh, my perception of it's a good idea or yeah. a bad idea. The cost is not does is not relevant in that is not factored into that. I think that the fact that they are offering a couple free machines really speaks to their good nature towards the community, and then the fact that they are are charging a set dollar amount you know above that even if it is drastically reduced than what you would get from their competition i think that speaks to their good business sense yeah um, i still think it's always worth looking at any of these kinds of things with a certain amount of skepticism um so like they're publishing they're publishing the source code for the live patch modules the back end mm-hmm. stuff that's that's their own commercial product they say they're not publishing that so that's mm-hmm. something else to consider the, i mean the levers they're pulling in the kernel that's upstream code but the stuff they're mm-hmm. using to pull those levers Mm-hmm. Not necessarily open source. So that's stuff to look into. It's always worth looking at everybody's version of this. And of course, mm-hmm. if you're if you're already on Red Hat Enterprise Linux or SUSE, there's already a solution mm-hmm. for you. This doesn't really apply. But I, I do think this is fascinating for I could just picture like, you know, the, the, the prototypical Ubuntu workstation that's an LTS workstation because it, it's mm-hmm. getting used on a shop floor or it's getting used by a developer that never wants to reboot. I see value in this even for the desktop. I think it's great bringing it down below thousands of dollars. So mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's a pretty good hit all around. It sounds like they've been working on it internally for quite a while as well. And the level of commitment they're taking to not breaking your production system is yes. huge for Canonical as a company. I think yeah. this is a mm-hmm. I think that maybe for from a historical standpoint, this is one of the biggest commitments they've ever made to the enterprise ever. 
Exactly. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's 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 interesting too, and it's you know it's up there with the big steps that companies like like SUSE, like Red Hat, like Oracle, the kind of commitments that they make at that really high level of yeah, we know your S is on the line, and yes, we are willing to make the service available to you. Exactly. That's a big step. So all right, before we get out of the news, there's two, there's two other big stories we should really touch on. Um, <laughs> it's really kind of been a crazy week. You've probably heard about the most serious Linux privilege escalation bug ever. That it's under active exploit. Uh, that's how ours wrote it. Uh, this is uh, a vulnerability that's been around for a long time, and it's it's also uh, been called the cow vulnerability because it actually specifically relates to relates to copy on write. I'm going to. Uh, I actually have a, I, I have broken it all down in the show notes, so I I, I have sourced this from probably. <laughs> let me see here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven different sites. So uh, mm-hmm. instead of just instead of going through one site, I thought maybe we'd go through all of them and kind of, kind of just break it down because it is getting um, well. There's not really much to show you there, is there? No, no, there's not because it's getting a lot of press coverage. It's getting a lot of attention as this is a vulnerability that's been around for a long time, and it comes on the heels of a report done by Google that shows the average Linux vulnerability in the kernel exists out in the wild for five years. We covered that last week. And so the timing of this super sucks because this one's been around for nine. Hey, that makes us look great. And so the vulnerability is it's a it's a race condition that was found in the way Linux memory handles a deduplication technique called copy on write. That's where cow comes from. Um, untrusted users can exploit it to gain highly privileged write access to the write memory mappings that would normally have been read only to them. So the bug is marked as a high priority, and it gets its name from the copy-on-write mechanism in the Linux kernel, which is so broken that in any application or any malicious program can tamper with the read-only root-owned executable files uh, and set UID executables. The race condition was found in a way that the memory subsystem handled these copy-on-write breakages of private read-only memory mappings. An unprivileged local user could use this flaw to gain write access, which would otherwise be restricted to them and increase their privileges on the system. The dirty cow vulnerability has been present in the kernel since version 2.6.22 in 2007 and is believed to also be present in Android. Yeah, that's right, everybody. <laughs> and uh, Red Hat's already got uh, their uh, their um, posts up about it. We got a couple of those. CEV 26 CVE 2016-5195 is the one you want to look up for uh, details on it. And we have also a link to the... Wiki uh, for Dirty Cow, and as well as, in case you really want to play with it, we have proof of concept code linked in the show notes as well. And this one's getting a lot of attention. Have you heard the buzz? Have you seen some of the headlines oh, about yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. The other thing is, too, is I, and I can't help but bring this up, but two years ago at Linux Fest Northwest, when we were in the middle of troubleshooting, when we were trying to get Alan to Linux, and Alan wasn't Linuxing very well, the <laughs> error that we eventually ran into was could not load bootloader because could not find canonical path cow. And so, like, we had no idea what it was. Now and you so know. We took a picture of it and tweeted, <laughs> yeah. And we tweeted, uh, we, we tweeted, Popey. Um, Popey yeah. And we're like, and, and, and then he gave us some smart aleck response about using Google. So then Q5 was like, no, it's okay. We just went into the barn and, and grepped, you know, frog and got, and then it turned Yeah, that was joke. funny. I do remember. But we never did find out what, what cow was. Now we know. Now you know. So that's what stands out. Yeah, this isn't like copy on and write like your file system, although the, maybe it's kind of similar, but this is for, this is for data and RAM. Um, and so, you know, it's it's kind of funny covering this on the heels of the last story. This is really the problem is none of these devices are getting patched. People are not patching their S. And 
I think I think a big part of it for server systems has been the reboot problem, and so I think live patching helps that a little bit. We need something like that everywhere. Essentially, it needs to be it needs to be common industry practice that you you do not deploy an internet connected operating system without a sure. solid way to do signed secure updates. That just because it, from a brand perspective, this is going to start if your if your IP cameras become known as the devices that contributed to the DDoS attack over the weekend, they're probably going to get rated a little bit shittier on Amazon. They're probably going to get yeah. sold a little bit less. I mean, it's going to start affecting people's brands at some point. Yeah, exactly. And it sucks that there's still machines out there running Linux kernel to something. Mm-hmm. That should be a runs Linux. Somebody, if you got a machine, uh, an embedded machine or something like that, or a desktop, or God forbid, an internet connected server, uh, running an old version, let's say some, refrigerator? something below. What's your kernel version on your fridge? I don't probably something to something. I'm sure. I'm sure because it was made. It, the, the thing was made in 2010, and it has. I know for a fact they haven't updated it since then. So whatever kernel, and and you know that it wasn't even shipping with the newest kernel in 2010. It was probably <laughs> something before that. And kernel three something came out in 2012. So yeah, I'm guessing two six, two seven, something like that. Be my guess. Well, Noah, that'd be that'd be funny. <laughs> that'd be funny. So speaking of those devices in the DDoS, this was a thing this weekend. The Internet of Things believed to be a target and a target of a massive DDoS attack. Websites including PayPal, Reddit, Amazon, Spotify, Twitter. And others were offline. Man, you must have just been uh, suffering there, Noah. Just suffering. Nope, because I don't have any Internet of Things. All my stuff is on the LAN only and doesn't talk out to the Internet. And I have huh. to use a tunnel to get to that stuff from the outside, which is what I keep telling you people over and over and over and over and over again is don't rely on the cloud. Don't put random things on the Internet on your network. It's a bad idea. Mm-hmm. It's a bad idea. And I saw that what, what actually kind of tipped me off to this was I saw a post on social media about a gentleman who was – he couldn't figure out why he couldn't shut his lights off in one of his rooms in his house. Oh my. He was using one of these smartphone-controlled no. no. light things that you bought at Lowe's or whatever. And um, turns out it was it was some sort of service that was proxying that connection from his uh, from the app, and then it goes up to some magic server and some magic script and some cloud-based thing comes down to his cloud-based lights and turns his light on and off. And and somewhere in there, this DNS attack had uh, rendered that service inoperable for a short period of time, and so he wasn't able to turn his lights off. And it just that is the kind of thing that I'm like, this is totally stupid. There is no reason when I send a command from my smartphone when I'm at home that that needs to ever leave my network. In fact, it shouldn't. Nothing outside of my network should even be aware that I'm sending that command. It should all be local. I got to I got to dig into this um, because so I guess I guess I, have, I in Lady Jupiter I have successfully gone offline because I I was boondocking mm-hmm. Friday, which is uh, RV or term for essentially dry camping without with every run off battery no not hooked up to anything and sure. uh, so I was running offline pretty much all day Friday and I didn't notice that there was any outages because I was taking the day off from the internet and working locally but my, my rough understanding is essentially the DYN folks the dynamic DNS guys were getting attacked and a, a bunch of s just fell apart from there I'm not I'm sure I'm gonna I'll dig into it more throughout the week but yeah, my, my, my brief understanding, and again, I haven't dug into it super deep, but my understanding is, uh, based on the interwebs, is that uh, there are a lot of people, there are some hacktivist groups that were upset about Julian Assange's internet getting cut off, and so they uh, launched DDoS attacks on DNS servers inside of the U.S. Now, I think it must extend beyond just dynamic DNS, because I feel like Spotify and Netflix, they wouldn't be relying 
on Dynamic DNS for well, their services. I think right? they, uh, DYN also offers a host of other services too that are like okay. general DNS management and whatnot. Gotcha. That, yeah. Okay. So maybe that's what it is. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. This is something, this particular issue is something we have covered extensively now for a couple of years on TechSnap. Mm -hmm. Um, even just in the last couple of weeks, we've been, this is uh, all of this, including also DNS amplification attacks and NTP amplification attacks. All of this is becoming a big problem, and we've been talking about it on TechSnap. So if this kind of stuff pushes your buttons and you want to know more, definitely go tune into that over at Jupiter Broadcasting. And I, yeah, I'm going to read more about this because you're right. This was an emphatic underscore of the point you make a lot on this show is that if you are on your own land and you have all of your stuff offline, doesn't matter what the cloud's doing, mm -hmm. because the cloud, after all, is just other people's computers, right? Exactly. So you never know when other people's computers are going to be screwed up or what kind of stupid decisions they're going to make or when they're going to piss somebody off. Uh, and I, I totally missed this outage, I think, because it didn't really, didn't really affect me. I, probably if I was here working at the studio, I probably would have been more aware of it, but mm -hmm. yeah. Huh, interesting. Well, we have links to everything we talked about, including uh, 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 links from Dustin on the live patch stuff, lots of sourced information on the uh, cow vulnerability, and I have a feeling that will also be covered in TechSnap, as well as some interesting coverage on this whole Internet of Things DDoS attack. Whoa, what's the matter over there, Brown Bear? What is it? Sorry. No. Well, what? what are you looking at? There's been this fly the entire episode, and it has been flying all around, and now it's like, <laughs> I think it thinks my lights are outdoors, and it's like whacking okay. against the, violently against the light. I'm sorry. You know what? Let's go have this guy explain to us what a CRM is. One of the things I love about Noah's day job is it is like a lab for our experimentation right here on the show. And sometimes we really get to reap the benefits. He went out and dug into something. We're about to get into that. And I'm going to be totally honest with you guys. It is a topic that I have avoided, not just personally, not just a little bit, on a professional level. When the CRM was getting rolled out at a client, eh, that Chris, Chris let somebody else handle that particular problem. That's... Now, so he had other things to worry about, important things. I'll go set up your SQL database, but I don't want to know about your CRM. But Noah managed to actually pique my interest, and it's with an open source project. So I'm going to tell you all about that. But first, got to thank the sponsor that makes this segment possible, and that is Linux Academy. In fact, if you go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged, you get to support this show and sign up for a seven-day free trial. Oh, here we go. to the world of Linux, all right. Azure, and AWS. Give it to open me. OpenStack and DevOps. Okay. A sharp skill set is an absolute necessity to succeed. Meet Linux Academy, an online Linux and cloud training platform that uses self-paced video courses and hands-on labs to give you real-world experience for a wide range of skills. Train for your certification, learn the latest DevOps tools, and grow your skill set to do better work. Linux Academy is not just a video library. Our scenario-based server labs and quiz system allow you to learn hands-on. We also have full-time human instructors who answer questions and help you earn that certification or promotion at work. Listen, YouTube, I know I hit that mute button. I know I hit that mute button, YouTube, because I wanted to tell the people all those things, but you did a good job anyways. You did. I really did legitimately hit that mute button. It's cool, though. It's cool sure because you, you know what they don't say there? They don't tell you about that seven-day free trial, and they don't tell you about what I think is maybe one of the biggest deals ever because you go over to Linux Academy, you get into some of the courseware, you realize it's the best stuff on the subject, and... If you're like me and you're just even kind of passionate about this topic, you start just eating it up. Om nom 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 nom. And you get a lot of really good stuff done. 
problem was it's hard to brag about it, either to your employer, to maybe a potential client, or even just to friends and family. Honestly, you sometimes want to be able to show off your accomplishments. And that's why I think it's brilliant they've recently launched the Linux Academy Public Profiles. That's a great way when you're trying to get a gig or if you're getting education as part of your employment. It's also very important. They have some really great stuff, including Learning Pass, if you're going to go get some certs, where instructors have put together specific tracks for you. They have the course scheduler for those of us that don't have a lot of free time, and those new iOS and Android apps that help you study on the go, as well as their downloadable content and comprehensive study guides for those of you that like the things offline, like Mr. Kernel Linux, they got you covered too. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. That's where you go to support this show. And you could go watch that video too if you didn't get a sense, but YouTube, they got me covered. Not only did I mute it, but the play bar didn't show any progress. Like the whole thing just went totally crazy. So that's why we're going to bring it. We're going to center ourselves and we're going to learn about an open source CRM. As the year winds down, UltaSpeed work is slowing down for me. This is always kind of a slow time of the year, and I very much believe in maximizing uh, my time. And so what I try to do towards the end of the year is set aside some time to work on UltaSpeed rather than in AltaSpeed. What I mean by that is, rather than taking time to do the day-to-day -day tasks that actually bring us in revenue, I try to take some time to take a step back and say, how are we doing overall as a company? Where are areas that we can improve in our efficiency and our effectiveness, and how can we overall grow as a company? The last couple months, I've been working on trying to expand AltaSpeed outside of Grand Forks, as well as expand our customer base inside of Grand Forks. But of course, I have enough on my plate already, so that's going to need to be delegated to a person or group of other people. I still need to maintain a picture of what my company is doing at all times. Call me a control freak, but I like to know. And so I needed a software solution that was, of course, going to be Linux compatible, preferably open source, that was going to allow me to essentially snapshot my company and help me track this growth. That way we can more effectively make plans and, of course, properly allocate financial resources. A couple of weeks ago, I got an email from somebody that was trying to do the exact same thing, and I suggested to him Zermo, Zermo CRM, or Customer Relationship Management. Basically, it's a software to help manage your customers. Apparently, there was some confusion in the name, and we followed it up with the feedback, which Chris was very excited to do. And after that, uh, we didn't really hear anything from it, and so I started to wonder, maybe interest kind of died. So I decided this week, I'm going to take some time to show you exactly what Zermo is, exactly what it can do, and exactly how we here at AltaSpeed are using an all-open source solution powered by Linux to grow our business. Now, before we dive into exactly what Zermo is, we need to understand what a CRM is and what it's for. Put very simply, a CRM is basically to manage your customers. It is a software package that manages customers. We can keep track of our customers so we know who they are. We can keep uh, track of contacts and the various projects and tasks that are going on with those customers. Now, I researched a bunch of CRMs. I took a look at Sugar CRM. I took a look at Zermo CRM. I even looked at CRM solutions that weren't even really CRM solutions, but I thought maybe I could shoehorn them into fitting for me. And hands down, Above, uh, above all, Zermo comes out ahead. Now, there's a couple of things that we need to talk about when we 
talk about getting to using Zermo. This is not a how-to specifically. It's more of a review or an in-depth dive of what we're doing with Zermo. Nonetheless, I want to give you the basic tools you'll need if you decide that you want to implement this. So the first thing that we need to talk about is how we can get it installed. Now, you know me. I'm no fan of magic scripts. However, in this particular instance, because I was just trying Zermo out and it wasn't really something, at least initially, that was going to go into production, I had to start with something that was easy and then later went back and actually built it from scratch. The easiest way to get Zermo running is something that might be a little different than what you might be used to. There is a service called Bitnami and Bitnami, if you're not familiar with it, basically provides uh, installation scripts, if you will, and I can choose an application and I can uh, demo it right here in the browser. I can uh, download a container or I can download just a little installer uh, script that will basically let me install it right on to the computer. And that, that's really helpful if you want to do it in something like uh, DigitalOcean. Now, I am actually, I opted to go a slightly different route this time. I wanted to try out the new Google services, which is basically a, a Google Compute instance that has that ties in with Bitnami to provide those application installers right there in uh, the Google services. So it's kind of like DigitalOcean's one-click install, except it's for Bitnami rather than the, the one-click installs. And since Zermo was already available on Bitnami, I decided to go that route, and that's how I was going to demo it. So that's where this is being hosted today for the demo. Um, the actual production database that we're going to use uh, for AltaSpeed is going to be obviously hosted at DigitalOcean, and there will be no magic scripts. Noah compiled, er, well, not compiled, but Noah installed and configured that by hand because I need to know how it works, so when it breaks, I can fix it. So let's dive into exactly what Zermo is. I have a demo set up at demo.jupiterbroadcasting.org, and we are going to log in. And this is what we get to. It's a very well-designed UI. You notice there aren't a ton of buttons and options. I basically have my dashboard. The concept of a dashboard is something I really like. I love the idea of going to a website and having an overview of what my company is doing right there before I even have to dive into anything. It's kind of like what I appreciate about the Ting dashboard or the DigitalOcean dashboard. I can see what all my servers or all my phones are doing. Now I have an idea. I have a snapshot of what my company is doing basically in real time. You notice right at the front here is a calendar, a uh, list of reminders. And prior to this, we actually at AltaSpeed did not have any sort of calendaring solution. We have a scheduling solution that we use to schedule service calls, but I could either block time off if I wanted to go have lunch or I had a meeting or something like that, or I could schedule actual service calls. But it wasn't very granular in that I couldn't say, I want to go to the, the Linux Fest Northwest. And that's, you know, obviously a business event. And then, you know, other people could see that and know where I am and, and, and what's going on. Certainly, I couldn't do it for potential customers because they don't have an account inside of our ticketing system. So I went ahead and created an account for Jupiter Broadcasting. I'm going to treat them as if they were a customer. I'm going to close this. So basically, I create an account of, of a customer. And this doesn't necessarily have to be an active customer. It may be a potential customer, somebody that might be a client in the future, but I want to start kind of feeling them out what's going on. So the first thing I'm probably going to do is I'm going to create a contact and I'm going to say, you know, who is it at this company that I know? Who can I talk talk to and, and keep an ongoing dialogue? So that would be probably Chris Fisher. And uh, his, uh, his job title is CEO. And uh, 
I'm gonna put his phone number in here. And I'm gonna save it. And now uh, Chris is a contact and I can make notes about him uh, or, or I can have different kinds of contacts. So maybe the first person that I meet uh, might be the front desk associate. Now, maybe I have her name and so I can name drop her when I go to talk to the general manager. Hey, by the way, uh, my name's Noah. I talked to, I ran into Kylie at the, at the front desk and she was telling me this is kind of how your operation runs and this is where we might be able to serve you. That, you know, that kind of thing. If, if, I could, if the more names you know, you know, the more I can kind of slide in there and, and talk a little bit. And so that helps me kind of get my, my feet grounded. Now, once I've actually established contact and I want to start actually, you know, again, this is from the perspective of a potential client. I want to start looking at how we can best serve them. I might create a task list. And so here, the first task might be a site survey. Um, and uh, I'm going to save that. And so the site survey is, the description of the site survey is, how can we best serve? Um, and so the checklist might be um, something like check all available network connections. Um, and I might look at um, physical layout of network. Um, and then all of these are going to get, uh, you know, categorized. There, you know, it's very granular and here I have an actual checklist, but then all I see again from the dashboard is just site survey. Or maybe I might go in here and I would say, you know, I met uh, Rakai, burgers for Rakai, uh, met with video editor at JB, seems very capable and can be bought off with burgers. So I'm going to go ahead and save that. And then inside here, get burger that he likes bring burger to studio let beard stuff face with burger and again, all of this is tracked under under headings. And if, if one of these is done, site survey is done, I can go ahead and check it off. And now I can, it doesn't delete it. It just le lets me know this task has been completed. Um, and again, you, you envision this, right? If I have multiple people working, if I have one guy going out and doing the sales, and maybe I've got another guy that he, his job is site deployment. So he's going out there looking at how we can implement the things that we're promising. He can go out and say, okay, the site survey was done. And of course, the entire time we're adding uh, you know, information as this guy goes out and he does all these things he's adding a comment the half you know like half the network jacks don't work stuff like this is all being tracked and it is built from the idea that these are people that start out as non-customers and may become customers in the future now once they become customers we have a whole nother uh you know um set of tools that we can use to uh to track all of this stuff i can go in here and i can schedule meetings with these people and, uh, I, uh, of course, at any time, again, we have this generic comment thing. This is a test. Again, anytime I need to just document something, hey, I ran into this person or I saw this, I can just make a, a general kind of comment. There is an opportunities uh, window, which is basically like th the idea is 
I might have some, I might see a potential need and I haven't necessarily talked them into it yet, but, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, it's a potential thing that I don't want to forget. And Chris and I are really bad about that. We'll have a ton of really good ideas and then poof, they're gone like right before we leave. Right. And so what the software is allowing me to do is I can walk in and say, Hey, you know what? I notice every time I go to this particular business, their printer doesn't work. And so I can make a note and say, um, printer not working at front desk. And now that, that again, is it's filed under a opportunity. And so later I can go back through my leads and inside of Zermo and it will actually show me, I see it, bring this back up again. And it'll actually show me where all of these, uh, where all of the potential for work is. And it does a couple of things. One is it's going to lead uh, me to more revenue. And at the same time, I think we're serving customers better because we're more accurately able to track their needs. And the it because it's web-based and because it's running on Linux, it's going to be available to me at scale, not just in Grand Forks, but everywhere. So I think it's going to really allow us to grow. So that's a brief look at what Zermo is doing. I hope you found that helpful. If you want any more information, we're going to have some more information inside of the show notes, as well as a link to manually getting Zermo up and running. If you want to use it in production on DigitalOcean, which is what I would recommend, I would highly recommend doing it by hand, not using the scripts. Again, uh, uh, Bitnami is the service that has a pre-done installation script if you just want to try it. And then this is running on a Google Cloud Compute instance. So that's a, t that's a, a brief look at Zermo. Hope you found it enjoyable. Ah, that was really cool. And... Uh Wait for the out. What did you think of using the uh, the Google Cloud Compute service? How did that go? It's okay. I, here's the thing. It's great for testing. Uh, it's great for playing with. I would never use it in production. Oh, really? Um, well, so there's a couple things. I don't like their... They're, well, the non-existence of a dashboard. Basically, they file everything into what they call projects, but you can't actually see the machine. So, for example, I don't know what operating system uh, my thing is running. I know it's Linux because it, I can tell that it says Linux kernel or whatever, but I have no idea if it's Ubuntu or if it's Fedora. And I don't actually have access to the machine to go in if I wanted to, let's say, copy a file out of it or something like that. I can't do that because it's all in this like packaged little project thing. Um, so my, my impression of it, and it's cost effective, so it's yeah, a great way, again, to try if you want to try something, yeah. just play with it. No, I, would, I wouldn't even consider, I wouldn't even think about using it in production. So, in fact, so much so, I wouldn't even use it in, I wouldn't even use it in production long enough to see if it works in production. I moved it over to DigitalOcean oh. before I even got that far in the test. So you must have been pretty happy to find an open source solution to solve this problem. And it sounds oh. like something you're pretty comfortable recommending to other businesses and maybe uh -huh. even... A hundred percent. And the other thing too, and, and again, there were certain things I couldn't show because of the demo instance, because there's not real information there, but uh, uh, Zermo does this thing. It turns it into a game. So you get badges inside of the CRM. Oh. So for example, the first time you make a con, the first time you log a contact in a business, you get a badge. The first time you add a new business, you get a badge. And so it encourages your staff and your team to you know, to play, all, it turns it almost into like this game where the more people I can make contact with, the more people I can talk to, the more information I can gather, the more my badge number increases, which is a really cool thing. Um, you know, yeah. that, you know, competition is always kind of cool. That is it. That's a great way to just sort of make it a little bit more fun for something that sometimes mm -hmm. isn't all that fun. And then I guess the other thing that I thought was kind of cool about your review is uh, I hadn't tried out Bitnami, but it sounds like that might be kind of legit. Bitnami was is pretty neat. The the thing is, it it combines two things I don't like though. It, it has uh, it's essentially a repository of magic scripts. Yeah, right. Like, but for <laughs> testing and trying to see if it's a feasible yes. application for your users to use or for you to use or to export or import data, this is exactly. kind of neat. 
Now, I tried Bitnami on Ubuntu 16.04. The script failed. I tried it on 14.04. The script failed. I tried it on CentOS 7. The script failed. I tried it on CentOS 6. The script failed. I tried it on Debian 8. And it worked. Whoa, so okay. it, there is, uh, and they don't tell you that when you go to download the script. It doesn't say use this particular version of Linux. Um, but I just, I just had to. So your distance it, so may like, oh. vary. It sounds like. Yeah, yeah. It requires and, additional think, testing. Yeah, uh, but looking through, they have a lot of things like uh, WordPress. Yeah, and Ghost uh, and, is in uh, here. And I forget um, the name of the project, but the uh, uh, project uh, OpenFire, the so the XMPP mm -hmm, server, mm -hmm. um, and I set some of those up, and they're they're quite involved. So to have a little script, you know, again, just for testing or playing with, yeah, would be really kind of cool. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in here. I mean, some of this stuff's already on DigitalOcean if you just go that route, but there's more than than mm -hmm. than that's there, uh, including some nice ones like Utrack is a the nice. But again, the nice thing, the thing I really like about the service is that they provide a installation script, so you can yeah. take it anywhere. You yeah, know? and this is this is not really related to uh, Zoom or Zermo. It's just a no. way to try it. Uh, so no, although they do have some sort of blessing from Zermo because the way I found Bitnami was through the Zermo site. They have it linked. They say if you want to try it, here's a pre-done installation script. Hmm. Pretty yeah, nice. So some sort of blessing. Sounds like a nice sounds like a nice win for AltaSpeed and uh, a nice mm -hmm. uh, check off the box. Does open source have this? that uh, mm -hmm. you could throw up on a system pretty easy and try it out and see how it runs. All right. That's the Linux Axe Show's first and likely only look <laughs> at a CRM. And thank goodness there's a good one that's open source. And that brings us to the end of this week's show. But, of course, we do have some feedback, plus we have a poll to follow up on. And then there's a community question that is so important. It's causing listeners to tune out. So we're going to answer that. It's we're going to we're going to tackle it. But first, I want to thank System76 for making this segment possible. You know they have great laptops. We talk about these. They have super nice desktops, but they've been on a rampage. Crazy System76 is so crazy. They're updating all their machines. I swear it seems like. And the new now, I believe you say it as Limera. Lee. <laughs> Limura. Yeah, I like that. And this is uh, this is a the Limura, just as fancy as the name. The rig's even fancier. It's got a seventh gen Intel processor, which is totally badass. It's got of course the latest graphics from that, and a USB C, and up to thirty two gigabytes of DDR four bad mama jamma RAM. And this is a, in a little tiny machine, fourteen point one inch display, with a seven gen seventh gen Intel, and then that you get to say that name all the time, Limura. Just like that, and uh, you know that. Or you could say Lemur. That's starting at six ninety nine. Six the six ninety nine for the, if you do it in U.S. greenbacks, or uh, sixty two bucks a month. That's 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 a great deal. You know what? You know what we never talk about. You know what we hmm. never talk about for some reason. Because I guess we never talk about I, this is ridiculous too. When I think about it, because we maybe maybe like maybe like a month ago we mentioned this. But you know what's the most popular uh, OS on uh, the cloud? We just talked about it. It's Ubuntu. Ubuntu. It's, and, and you know yeah. who sells Ubuntu servers backed by a company that knows Ubuntu inside and out? System76. Go check out their servers as well. And tell them the Linux action. Tell them Noah switched you to Linux. System76.com. Thanks, guys. All right. So last couple of weeks, we've been trying to figure out what is a bare bones Linux. And I, did I get your take on it? Do you define bare bones as I, X? What I said here's here's what I said. I said that if we're, there, we we have to define what we're talking about. If we're talking about servers, we're talking about desktops because the answer is totally different. And I don't. But but we took a poll nonetheless and asked. We asked you, the audience, what do you define as bare bones Linux? Does it include X? Does it not include X? And the results are. 
da 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 Yeah, well, with an absolutely scientific base that people got off their butts and voted, so it's totally, totally relevant. 60% of the audience says that Bare Bones Linux is defined by them as X-free, and only 40% so they consider Bare Bones Linux has X. 60% agreed with me. I, I did not expect that. I thought I was the weird guy that was saying small, tiny, bare bones distros were X-free. But I think when I think bare bones, I think of a bare bones Linux installation that's mm-hmm. like maybe a package manager and a couple of other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe a package manager. So that's why I didn't really think X was involved. But then again, I know a bunch of great tiny ones out there. So, yeah. I feel vindicated. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to celebrate after the show with a uh, with a celebratory pizza or a celebratory burger. I don't know yet. All I'm right, so I'll take on uh, Corey's. Hey, speaking of okay. System76, he's got a question about System76 and similar Clevo models. So would I be able to use the System76 PPA on a more generic Clevo laptop with the same model that, say, the Oryx Pro is based on? I had an opportunity to purchase a secondhand one. And uh, I'm not quite sure if I can get everything working under Ubuntu 16.10. And he gives the model. Now, do you happen to have an answer to this? Because I have speculation. I, I, I do. I have, I have a, almost a definitive answer. My understanding is the answer to that question is no. You could try it, and there might be certain things that will work. But System76, yeah, they swap out hardware components. They make, they literally open up and resolder things sometimes to, to disable things or re-enable things or make other things work. They flash different firmware on it to make so certain things that aren't controlled by the driver. So you might get some functionality out of it. It might work out of the box, but it's. I guess my answer would be it's probably no different than going into Best Buy and buying a laptop at that point. Yeah, there's probably enough every every time, and it's though. And generally, the way they make their the way they make their modifications, you know. So I've got two bonobos here. Um, and uh, these both had m- different modifications done to them from the stock OEM hardware. Uh, System76 does assemble these machines and modifies them themselves. They don't arrive pre-assembled and out of the box. Right. They, they customize them and build them. And both of these had some slight modifications to ev- essentially avoid all of the problems with split graphics that were, mm-hmm. that were just, uh, uh, when these models were being brand new, were just an absolute nightmare. And we're only now starting to get better, really. Um, and... That the, the 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 image they have on their BIOS and the way they write the driver for the PPA assumes probably those modifications, I would think. But the way they yes. did those modifications, I've I've never actually I I very rarely these days install the PPA. I generally will on a brand new system. Um, it is also, I believe, in the AUR if you're on Arch. But uh, both of these systems no longer. I I don't even bother with the PPA. This is running Ubuntu Mate Edition sixteen ten, and uh, I don't. I don't even bother with that anymore. The box. Yeah, it just yeah. works. So that's you so know, you could give it, you could give it a shot. It just again, there's no guarantee. Yeah, it, it's kind of hit or miss. All right, you got LJ. So yeah, LJ writes in and he has a question about Ubuntu 16.04, 16.10, and he says regarding the Wi-Fi problems that you are facing in 16.04 and probably 16.10, please check the instru- instructions in the script attached. It may be a dirty solution, but in the end, it works and it's completely transparent to the user. Kind regards, LJ. Now. Last week, we did a review of Ubuntu 16.10, and I had a horrible time with with 16.10, and Chris had an amazing time with 16.10. And so the question was brought, maybe it's because I needed to do a clean install. Yeah, you did did an upgrade to 16.10 from 16.04. From 16.04. And so I wiped my entire laptop. I spent hours. I mean, I didn't get done until 8 or 9 o'clock at night uh, backing all my stuff up and reinstall my operating system from scratch. And for the first... I'd say four or five days, things were pretty good. I had one like total system lockup 
a weird issue where when it would come out of standby, I couldn't type in my password. And uh. then after I would, was able to log in, like I was watching Netflix and the whole thing just locked up. And that was kind of frustrating. And Ooh. I kind of wrote that off. Sounds, like, around, sounds like maybe video drivers. Maybe, but it's Intel integrated. I mean, how do you screw that up? And then, like Thursday ish, I start. I had my first Wi-Fi problem, and I, 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 I actually told Chris. He goes, "Bring this up on the air," and I said, "I will," but I think I'm going to cut him some slack because maybe it was just a one-off thing. It didn't do that thing where Wi-Fi totally vanished. It just disabled Wi-Fi, and I just clicked on enable, and then I, I was back in business. But then Friday and then Saturday, it totally died, and it, now I'm back to I bring it out of standby one every three or four times, and it just, yeah, I just don't have Wi-Fi. This is on a so, Lenovo. This is on. Well, no. This is on. This is on my. This is on an X two forty. This is on an X two fifty. This is on a Dell Precision sixty four hundred, and it's on a uh, Dell Latitude E fifty three forty. All four of those computers have the exact same problem, but only in Ubuntu uh, sixteen oh four or higher. Worked perfectly fine in fourteen oh four. Worked perfectly fine in Fedora. Works perfectly fine in Arch. It's just, uh, and so I don't know. Um, so but we're going to attempt to embed his resume script. It's a system D unit. Uh, we're going to attempt to uh, put this in the show notes and see if it renders properly right. so people can use this hack if they want. Yeah, however, I Quote just I think it is frustrating that there are still people on Ask Ubuntu that are reporting these problems in 16.10, and now there is like this script that seems to be like accepted by people. It's like, this is the way that you fix wireless. We shouldn't have to fix wireless in an operating system. For crying out loud, it's 2016. That's a very important aspect that yeah. needs to work out of the box, you guys. I'm still, I still haven't had a problem. Yeah. But I, I'm not alone, though. There's other people. I believe you. I believe you. I have been there when I'm the one having the problem and nobody else has had it. It's super frustrating. Welcome to most of my life, actually. Uh, <laughs> Welcome so to your life on Android. <laughs> here's where I, uh, I wanted to respond to this because I didn't... I think maybe you and I talked about it off-air. And I know mm -hmm. we talked about it on-air once, but didn't really mm -hmm. think it was worth mentioning. But uh, uh, not... Uh, Let's see here. It's on the subreddit. Yeah, linuxactionshow.reddit.com is where this was submitted. And nothing but the rain wrote in and said, Noah, man, are you getting enough sleep? You seem like you're super salty. And I don't know, maybe that's like that's like code for, I don't know what salty is quite code for, but I don't think it's good. That means angry. And I would, I would call, uh, I would call a aggressively contrarian in the past couple of shows among the ones I listened to, Linux Unplugged, Last, and User Air. Is it just me or is anyone else feeling it? Virtual hug sent your way. Uh, and then the thread kind of devolves uh, where it's actually uh, it's actually my fault. Uh, Natterton says that it's actually Chris's fault and Noah's just reacting to the bad tone that I set for the show. Uh, and then Vigor says that he has to stop listening to the show because uh, I get into my head of the show mode and I cut you off too much. <laughs> so I thought maybe we should address this on air because... You know, at first I thought there was nothing, but now we have 13 people that have jumped in. They seem to be concerned about maybe you and I fighting or when I cut you off. So back in December of last year, um, we talked about how we could improve the show. And one of the things that um, Chris has been trying to move towards is more discussion and having more discussion. And um, that was that was one of the things that that transitioned from my predecessor, Matt, over, over to, to myself was one of the things that... I differ with him is that I am okay uh, speaking up. And that manifests itself in, 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 a, in a couple of different ways. But one of the things that I try to keep a, a firm uh, hat on is that Chris has spent the last years of 10 years of his life building up a network. And so due respect to him, 
it's his show when he wants to say something, it's his job to say something. And it's my job to support him in a supportive role. And so it, back in December, we, Chris and I had a conversation. He said, listen, I'd really like you to speak up a little bit more because I'd really like to have some discussion. And that might mean that both of us take a polarizing view and we're going to go back and forth a little bit, but, uh, but I think that would make for better show content. And so starting at the beginning of this year, uh, when something comes up, if I don't, if I don't agree with them, we just, we go back and forth until Chris decides it's time to move on. And the other thing is I have a, a handicap. I, I am not a podcaster. I am a, I'm a, I'm a support technician. I'm an, I'm an IT, IT administrator. And I have, I have been fortunate enough to come into this role to share my views on technology with you, but I, I'm not born a broadcaster. And so one of my handicaps is I can't formulate thoughts as well as somebody that's been doing this for 10 years. And I also don't have the ability to look at my, what I'm saying and decide when it's time for me to cut myself off. And so it is, it is, you have to understand that this is a symbiotic relationship where I am going to provide Chris with uh, with a certain amount of resistance so that he doesn't just run off and and if I think he's wrong, I'm gonna stand up and i'm i'm gonna I'm gonna put my foot down and we're gonna talk about it. We're gonna go back and forth. And at the same time, when Chris's ten years of broadcasting experience tells him this is enough of talking about this project this topic or this is enough of of Noah talking, we need to move on, then he's gonna put his foot down and we're gonna move on. And th I think the best thing that I, the the only real way I could think to exemplify this would really be is if we were to take a telegram conversation that Chris and I have throughout the week, and then you could see that because I, 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 when you just see us for two hours on Sunday, that gives you a very different view of our relationship and our friendship as it would if you just saw us the rest of the week. In fact, the I think the last episode that we really kind of blew up was the um, was the uh, Cody thing, right? And I think right after that, like we had had we had I meant to bring it up and talk to you about it after uh, after we were off the air, and then we divulged into a bunch of other conversation. It wasn't until like the next day that I actually got around to being like, oh yeah, by the way, Cody, did I push that too far? <laughs> Like it, it took a day or so, but yeah. Yes. And also if you're watching live, a lot of times after we end the segment, we'll pick the conversation back up. Like we did pick that Cody conversation yeah. back up for a bit. So I think people who watch live get a better sense of that or the patrons that watch the, the full live recording that we release. I think they kind of have a, a different perspective, but I think <clears throat> both of us don't take it personally. We look at it as sort of, we're here to give you both sides of an opinion and we're going to try <laughs> to articulate them as well as we can. And I think it's in the, it's in the hope and the interest of making it more interesting and intellectually stimulating than if we just agreed on everything all the time. Uh, yeah. However, I yeah, essentially, whenever we're talking about anything like this very topic, I have a clock running in my head. And when the clock runs out, it's like, okay, it's it's, it's time to move on. I don't think we're really progressing. Let's move <laughs> forward. Uh, and and there's not like it's not afterwards. We're not seething at each other. And if there's no hard feelings, we just move on to the next thing. It's because right. that's what we're here to do. We're here and, to do and, that, and we're here to do it as passionately as as we really feel about it. And don't get me wrong. There are times. There are times. There have there been there have been things where uh, where I I do hit a limit. Where Chris asks me or or Chris wants to move in a direction that I'm like. So just so you know, this is I, I'm not totally happy about that. And and that all that we basically kind of started mm -hmm. to approach that a couple you know, just a month ago. We were talking about how we we're going to change the you know the the broadcasting system. The, the yeah, you know if you if you if you want better insight to this, listening to the probably the the six episodes or seven episodes of user error. I know that's, yeah. they're not very long. Um, and they're actually, it's all, it's all time coded too. So you could just jump around if you want, where we kind of have talked about, we've, we've kind of 
pull the curtain back and say, well, let's talk about this time where we had this big yeah. issue and how that played out. And I think it gives you a better insight of how The, it the important thing to pull out of there, though, is if, there, if there's something that really bothers me, if there's something I'm upset about, believe, <laughs> believe me, people hear about it. I think they've noticed. And I think it's actually, <laughs> I think it's actually been a good thing because uh, even if it's something that sometimes the audience is like, oh, whatever – I think for us to sort of clearly state where we stand on certain different topics gives the audience a better idea of how we comment on other things in the future. So sure. I think it all serves a and purpose. If we, and if we both agreed on everything, one of us would be unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> so guess what? Send us in your thoughts and your feedback. You can do it at that subreddit or you can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. Pow! You didn't see that coming. Oh, you, you did? Okay, well, did you know I'm going to mention the live time over at jblive.tv on Sundays at noon Pacific or jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar, where it gets converted to your own time? Did you know that? You, you did? All right. Oh, I bet they don't know where they can find Noah online on Twitter. Where can they find you, Noah? At Kernel Linux, and you can follow the company at Altaspeed. That's my personal company. Or Jupiter Broadcasting at Jupiter Signal, or that guy at Chris Les. That's it's right below on our lower thirds. It's not That's, really a lower third. Oh, shoot. So they did know that was coming. Man, I am striking out. It's been, I, under, it's been under your nose the entire time. I thought it itched. I just thought that was my mustache. No, that's your Twitter handle, dude. Oh, you're right. You're right. See, that's the problem. That's the problem. That's what happens. I know. Okay, everybody, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. And we'll see you right back here next week. Right? Oh, they're not so bad because yeah. they've got open standards, so they're secure. Yeah. Wait a minute, they're attacking the U.S. on your Internet of Things. Uh, so many of my Internet of Things went down zero because I don't have it. All right, now, okay, so I got a couple of thoughts on this. Uh, I'm glad you brought this up. I think this is an important oh, conversation. I, uh, I would like to say thank you to the chat room for having us today. And uh, boy, isn't this an interesting day for America. Friends, what you've just heard here from Noah is the stance where he was waiting for the facts to meet his case to pounce. But listen, the truth of the matter Badly. is... It's my, my, my time, right? Yeah. The truth of the matter is, it was all of these unpatched Internet of Things devices, like the old pieces of crap Noah runs that doesn't install updates on door and no pieces of crap. Were no pieces of crap. You're a piece of crap. No pieces of crap. <laughs> No pieces of crap. Oh, Chatroom, go get caught up on your user error. I, I would probably. Hey, it's, hmm. hey, it's the. Hey, it's. Hey, no. Here comes the. Hey, Noah? what? Hey. Sorry. Uh, huh? Yeah, try to talk about what failed. Okay, I'll try to do that too. Hey, Noah. Hello. Hey, Noah. Hello. Hmm. All right, no, quit screwing around. <laughs> uh, the problem is the pooper does not. Uh, at least the, the, the. So there are two poopers in the studio. Well, actually, there are three. There are two poopers in the studio that we're going to talk about. The first pooper is a Chris exclusive. That pooper is inside of the studio. And for obvious reasons, nobody is allowed to use it. Because if, if Chris has to go on air and you have to be in the studio, you don't want to sit in the studio and smell other people's poop. So that, that pooper is off limits. So that leaves us with one remaining pooper. There's actually two, but one's are nice. So that leaves us with one remaining pooper in the living room area. The problem with that pooper is it's kind of like... If you've ever had a drippy faucet, that's kind of what happens when you push the flusher. It's just like, and then nothing happens. So basically what you have to do is you have to like, anytime, any sort of- Anything. 
any deposit is made in the actually in, in i've the tested it i've actually what? tested it it i've actually uh -huh. been able to get it to clog uh, just on an empty bowl just when testing really yeah. that does not surprise me yeah, i think it just fails to flush sometimes so these ones are real flood these are real pleasure to flush so everyone say good job Andrews, on getting new shitters in the chat room because uh I've been struggling with these sons of bitches for like three, four months now. It's just oh, been the one in the, the the one in the master bedroom's been breaking down. It's been leaking water, costing us a lot in water. The the, the reserve pooper, that one. The the my private pooper. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm, that one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So both of them got replaced. Yeah. 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 The one doesn't affect me, but the one in the, the living room. Had the only one that ever worked was the is the one that only Rikai the Rikai's private toilet. That's the only yeah. one that ever worked I've never, properly. You know what? I've never even seen his bathroom. Much less been in it, much less used it. Oh, you could. You could probably go in there and uh, get a beard shower. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, well. Yeah, they're not connected to the internet, that? no. Do you mean shower in beard's bathroom, or do you mean get showered in beard? Well, I would imagine one and the same, my friend. Ah, <laughs> uh, first and likely. Look. What? I love it. Just you just you have like little isms about like like if you don't like something it's very clear that is a Linux action shows first and likely only look. I just want to I give a shout out to the people who are like, oh my god, this is the worst thing ever. I'm like, don't worry, we'll just talk about it maybe once. <laughs>